0: Well, I did something for the first time this week. I bought myself a recipe book. Now, I bought, thank you, I bought recipe books uh, a number of times before, uh, most often for my mum for birthdays and Christmas. Uh, That's not a hint that I didn't like her cooking, I really appreciate it. Uh, But just imagine for a second that you get a recipe book and it has a recipe for a cake in it. But instead of telling you what to do, it tells you what not to do. That is, don't use brown sugar, don't put the eggs in yet, don't use self-raising flour, and don't preheat the oven to 180 degrees. That wouldn't be particularly helpful, would it? You would know what not to do, although I would have no idea what to do. Although I'm sure some better bakers could use some power of deduction to ascertain as to what to do. Now, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we are landing in the end of Paul's section on Christian leadership. Up until now, there has been a decent amount of corrective elements. That is, Paul has been telling us what not to do with Christian leaders. That is, not to put one up against the other, not to follow leaders to the point of idolatry. And in the end of of chapter 3, verse 21, it says, So then... No more boasting about human leaders. But now, as we open up chapter 4, Paul argues how we ought to view Christian leaders and the apostles and how leaders ought to be. So how should we view leaders in the view of the cross? Well, leaders should be humble stewards of the gospel, live out the gospel, and to be diligent in the gospel. And this isn't just a call for leaders. Uh, This is actually a call for all of the church. So, firstly, steward the gospel. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 1. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Uh, Last week, you may remember that we saw how Paul described himself and the other apostles as servants. Uh, We saw how following them and praising them and living for them would be living and praising the waiters at a restaurant rather than the actual chef who cooked the food. At this time, Paul uses a different word for servants in verse 1, which has a slightly different nuance. This word describes one who is an assistant or a manager or a helper of some sorts. Uh, Not the owner, but a manager. So then he describes them as being entrusted with something, and this is something to manage. And the gift or the estate given to them isn't an estate of a wealthy leader. This isn't a pile of cash. No, they've been given the mysteries that God has revealed. Now when we think of mysteries, we can think of something which is secret or that you need to be part of a special club to gain access to this knowledge. But that isn't the case here. God has made these mysteries completely and utterly known. And Paul is referring here to the gospel. The apostles and leaders in Christ's body are stewards of the gospel. We all have been given such a precious, amazing gift. The gift of life, of hope, of forgiveness, of certainty, of joy, of fulfillment, of relationship. And we aren't the owners of this news. We haven't worked our way to earn it. Now it's been freely entrusted to us. And what is required of those entrusted with the gospel? Well, it's faithfulness. And Dick Lucas uses an analogy which I think is really helpful. He says, just, just imagine for a second that you are a servant and your master asks you to cook you bacon and eggs on toast for breakfast. So it's the next morning and so you just bring eggs. Have you been faithful? Well, no. The master wanted bacon and eggs on toast, not just eggs. So then the next day comes. Perhaps you bring bacon and eggs on toast, but then you add mushrooms and maybe some wilted spinach. Have you been faithful? No. The master just wanted bacon and eggs on toast. Now, the gospel isn't breakfast. It is something so much more phenomenal than that. And God's call for the leaders of it is to be faithful with it. That is to live it out to proclaim all of it, not to add anything in or to take anything away. Leaders are to facilitate the building up of the church, to equip the saints for love and good works. But you see, this doesn't just rest on those who are on the payroll or those who are on parish council. No, this is all of our responsibility. Uh, We all have the amazing hope of the kingdom of God And as we'll see later in 1 Corinthians, we have various gifts that have been entrusted to us to build up the body of Christ, to spread the news of the kingdom, to steward the gospel. And Paul urges us on to faithfulness. Now note here, we aren't called to success, nor are we called to failure. We aren't called to perfection, nor are we called to mediocrity. We aren't called to look good, nor are we called on to look bad. But, verse 2, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. We're called to faithfulness. And there's only one person who can judge this, and that is God Himself. Now, the Corinthians were judging Paul. They were making calls on which leader is the best. You know, is it Paul? Is it Apollos? Or is it, is it Kephas? Uh, they were searching for those with human wisdom, with fantastic oratory skills, with lofty speeches. Uh, you can just imagine it, can't you? You know, he's the better preacher. Uh, they're the better small group leader. He has better stories, but they have better personnel skills. But Paul writes here in the following verses that the valuation of faithfulness rests solely on the shoulders of God. The judgment of faithfulness rests only in God's hands. So the result is, is that the valuation and judgment that Paul seeks isn't the judgment of the Corinthians. It's not even the judgment of himself, but it's the judgment and the praise of God. Look with me at verse 3. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, this could be misunderstood as Paul just being prideful here and thinking that he is above reproach or that he doesn't care for the Corinthians. But the opposite is true. He acknowledges that he isn't innocent, but he recognizes that the only judgment that matters in the end is God's. See, God is the only one who can really see what is happening in our lives. God is the only one who can see the deepest and intricate desires of our hearts. And God's judgment is eternal. Churches and, and people of God's church may look for leaders with the outward goods, with the eternal charisma, with the best skills. But God sees the inward parts. God sees the motives. And all those who have been faithful or receive praise from God And those who haven't, as we saw last week, will suffer loss. So then does this mean that we don't use discernment when appointing leaders and or choosing churches? Well, no, not at all. Uh, Of course we do. But it does mean when appointing leaders and when choosing a church to go to, we must be prayerful and use godly discernment rather than judging by the world's standards. And maybe it's not looking for the most impressive, but looking for the most faithful. But also, secondly, when we ourselves serve, or when we have various conversations with people, or when we uh, either discipline or teach our children, uh, when we make a mistake, we're probably our worst critic. Maybe that's just me. But you see, once again, God doesn't require perfection, but faithfulness to him. So, as a follower of God, entrusted with the gospel, how is your heart? What are we striving for? We don't serve for the outward success or the outward praise, but we are to serve for the praise and the glory of God. And for me personally, this means dropping my pride, this means dropping my craving for instant gratification that comes from instant success. This means daily repentance. This means a refocus on Jesus. And a continuous reminder to look for the praise that lasts. Because the leaders and all of God's people are stewards of the gospel. And we're called to be faithful. Faithful. But what does his faithfulness look like? Well, it looks like living out the gospel. And the best way to live out the gospel is to understand grace. That is to understand that everything that we have, that the full assurance of salvation that we have, the gospel that we have, it only comes from God and that we have done nothing to deserve it. That's the bottom line <laughs> For when we fully understand this and grasp this concept, then there'll be no place for boasting and no place for pride in our lives. Uh, When I was in grade five and six, uh, my Sunday school teacher, a bloke by the name of Craig Taylor, uh, started the lesson in every way, the same way, every week. He'd all give us a, a chocolate or a lolly at the start of the lesson. And then he would ask us the question, why am I giving you this lolly? And we would respond, to remind us that we don't deserve it. That is, to remind us every week of God's amazing grace poured out to us in Jesus that we don't deserve. This was to humble us every week. Uh, did it achieve this purpose? Maybe not. We were 11 years old with sugar on the line. But I do remember now, I'm very thankful Uh, This is what Paul is doing in verses 6 and 7. He is reminding the Corinthians that there is no place for pride in God's church. That's what he's been telling them for the past four chapters. Don't boast in leaders. Don't boast in your own wisdom. But be humble and boast in the Lord. And this is what he's quoted from the Old Testament. And this is what he means when he says in verse 6, do not go beyond What is written, that is, that all that is written in the Old Testament testifies to the greatness of God, the grace of God, and for the need for humanity to humble themselves and to submit themselves to him. Submit to him as their loving Lord. But the Corinthians haven't quite grasped this yet. They weren't living out the gospel. They were still living as people of the world. They had pride. and In fact, this is the root of pretty much everything that is to come in the letter. Pride. They thought that they had made it. They thought that they were grace graduates. You know, they were living in a a rich place, in a well-to-do area. They had bought into the lives of the culture and became more and more like the world in its foolish pride and so paul launches into this next uh, section which is dripping with sarcasm Uh, he contrasts the situation of the apostles to the egotistical corinthians so look with me at verse eight already you have all you want already you've become rich You have begun to reign in that without us, how I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. The Corinthians thought they had their situations covered. They thought they had it all. But they had forgotten about the cross. They had forgotten about grace. But you see, the apostles hadn't. Paul then goes on to describe situation of the apostles. And he describes them kind of like a cosmic spectacle. He uses the imagery of an emperor bringing in people to die, for when emperors conquered lands, they would come back into their own cities and bring a train of claimed goods and people, and last of all would be the people who would be condemned to die by throwing them into the arena to the gladiators or to the animals. Paul says that this is what it is like for him at the center of a cosmic gladiator display. The apostles were the have-nots, the shamed, the weak, and the foolish. And this is everything that the Corinthians despised, the things that the culture of the world looked down upon. But look at me at verse 10. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonoured. Verse 13, we have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Yes, Paul describes himself and the apostles as mud on the shoes of the people. This isn't him having a victim mentality, nor being bullish or rude. But they have become this way simply by following the way of the cross. The apostles became what the Corinthians despised. But what the Corinthians despised was what Christ has actually called them to. What Christ has called us to. To take up our cross daily. To die to ourselves and to follow him. And so Paul pleads. He urges with the Corinthians to step up. or rather to step down. To live out the gospel. Drop their pride. To have humility. Even through hardship and persecution. And if we go pointing the finger at the Corinthians and say, well, they're terrible, aren't they? are terrible are not they we would never be like that. Well, we're no better than them. (laughs) Now, just looking at you all here this morning, you're all a good-looking bunch of people. That is, not many of us are hungry, thirsty, or in rags, or homeless. Not many of us are persecuted, or cursed, or even slandered. Right at the moment, in early 21st century Australia, it is probably one of the easiest times in history to be a Christian. We can still meet here freely. We can still talk to others about Jesus. Now, the screws might be tightening ever so slightly, and our front lines may be growing more and more hostile, but by all in all, they're not too terrible. If, they, if I'm wrong on this, please let me know. I'd love to take you out for a coffee. But you see, this can lull us into a false sense of security, can't it? Uh, we can be tempted, as we saw two weeks ago, just to drift. And the thing that causes us to drift is not realizing that we need Jesus, not seeing grace for what it is, not living out the gospel. So the point is, it isn't that we should be seeking persecution or seeking hostility, but that our hope should be solely on Jesus and not on our own comfort. That we, we should continuously remember grace. So much so that no matter what happens, no matter what we face, when persecution comes, We can stand confident and live out the gospel. Then lastly, be diligent in the gospel. Now, Paul has been ripping into the Corinthians a bit here, and this could be seen as a bit harsh, but just a bit of a spoiler alert. He's not going to let off anytime soon. But his motivation to do this isn't to send them onto a guilt trip, but to lovingly correct them as a father lovingly corrects their children. So look with me at verse 14. I'm, not writing, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. His greatest desire for this church is for them to continue in the gospel and to be diligent in it, to grow in maturity. He's been sort of like a father to them. Uh, he's brought them to new life in Christ. And so for him, there is a deep love for this church. That's why he calls on them in verse 16. To imitate him, because he wants them to grow in maturity, to grow in humility. And again, this isn't Paul being prideful, but this is Paul calling them to what he has just described in the previous paragraph—to be part of the cosmic spectacle. In calling them to follow him, he is calling them to humility. It's a bit like when a parent teaches a child to write or to ride a bike. They say, watch what I do, and do it. In saying that, they're not being prideful or boastful. They just know how to do it better. This is what Paul's doing here. And he does this because he loves them so deeply. Completely. The Spirit has worked so powerfully among them, bringing them to Christ through the faithful witness of Paul, and so he wants them to mature. He wants them to be diligent because the kingdom of God is a real, powerful thing. See, the Christian walk isn't just a philosophical idea, it's not just a way of life among others. It's not just a matter of talk. No, it's powerful, it's real. It's down to earth. That's why Paul is writing this letter and writing such a passionate plea for the church to wake up. To get real in following Jesus. Not out of spite for them, but out of love for them. That's why he's going to go on to speak about real hard issues and he won't hold back because he loves them because he wants nothing more than them to grow in maturity in the gospel, because the gospel is powerful. The gospel saves. It is the very thing that gives us life. It's what unites us and brings us together as a church. It should drive us into serving God in our front lines. It should prompt us into considering ministry or overseas mission is what God calls us to here today at St. Bart's and beyond to the gospel. It's such an amazing, precious gift. So therefore, God urges us to leave our pride behind and steward, live out and persevere in the great hope of the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for the hope that we have because of Jesus. Thank you so much for the life that we have because of Jesus. Thank you so much for the grace that we have because of Jesus. Help this news never to grow stale on us. Refresh us daily in your grace. Keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. And help us to be diligent in, to be faithful stewards of, and to live out the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.